You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. Proud people don't want to take responsibility for what is wrong in their lives. They want to blame mama. They want to blame their boss, the government, whatever. They don't want application. Give me doctrine. Let my mind be teased with some truths about God, but don't tell me how I'm supposed to live. I don't like that part of the sermon. They don't want to have to do anything. Well, this whole passage is about doing something. Humble people are the opposite. They say, you know what? I need to change. True Colors. They really come out sometimes, don't they? In all circumstances with everyone. It should be a never-ending quest to become more like Jesus, and one of the biggest ways to take that journey is through humility, as Pastor Tom tells you today. How many of you have seen irresponsibility or maybe a shifting of blame to someone else? Be encouraged to examine your life for any prideful, jealous behavior and step away forever. No one can do this but you, and only through God's favor on your life. Now here's Pastor Tom in the book of James chapter 4 with today's edition of Discover Hope. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge. In other words, He hears it. He knows exactly what's going on. And with Him, actions are weighed. If you keep struggling with making progress, drawing closer to God, loving Him more than the world, giving up some hedonistic desire getting over your anger, getting past your constant discouragement, your shyness and your fear, your envying. He will give his greater grace so you can master that. Get past it. Grow if you will humble your heart. I know you're saying, wait a minute, it can't be that simple. Yes, it is. It's not easy, but it is simple. It's actually very hard, isn't it, to humble your own soul? Now, it's, it's pretty easy to let a few humble words come out of your mouth. Our political leaders, our national leaders, very few of whom I think are humble, they can say humble words, can't they? I mean, you see some actresses that are very vain. I mean, they can act out humility. They know how to say the right words. Arrogant sports personalities get a microphone pushed in front of them. They know what they're supposed to say. Well, it was a team effort. <laughs> yeah, but you won and you know you scored a thousand points. Yeah, it was a team effort. <laughs> it sounds so humble. But to actually think about yourself as not all that important. Huh. That's hard. To think in your head, I don't deserve the thing I'm asking God for. But I'm going I'm to ask it anyway, because God's generous and he gives undeserved favor. To think that other person and what they're going to have to face this week is more important than your list. Let's be practical about this, right? There's, you break it down. There's your business list. There's the things you have to do for your health. There's cleaning the house. There's the kids. Item one, two, bullet points. What about the other guy's list? The other guy's got a hard one this week. When you're humble, you start thinking, you know what, I could, I could fix that another week. Let me go help, let me go help John. Let me, let me go help somebody, see? To think lowly of yourself 
It's hard for me to get fast in this passage. I'm, I've just really slowed down in it because I just sense that this is what we need to be focusing on. I know you're probably thinking like, get to verse 10. <laughs> I, I, I can't. I, I can't move quickly through this. This is just hard. Who's going to look out for me if I lower myself? Ain't nobody looking out for me. I got to look out for me. You know what those words are? That's pride. It's pride that has to be proud because it doesn't have confidence that God's going to take care of you. So you can't really even humble yourself until you have confidence that if I humble myself, he will what? You think Jesus went to the cross thinking, "Uh uh-oh, I'm going to go to the cross. What's going to happen? Who's going to look out for me? Everyone's abandoning me. Right? If there was any kind of trembling in him, when those women came along him in the Via Dolorosa and they said, we weep for you. And he said, weep for yourselves. You have no idea what's going to come upon this city for what's being done. It's basically what he was saying. Weep for yourself. Man was he strong in faith. If you believe God's going to bless your life, then you can be humble. If you don't, then you're going to keep looking out for number one, I guess. Get low before God and see what God does with your life. Didn't we just sing it? Him exalting, self what? Abasing. This is victory was the next thing. Not this is pain. This is victory. Isaiah 66, 2, for my hand made all these things. You ever go outside and think about the greatness of God? Just go outside. Oh, look at the sky. At least in the wintertime, we have the sky to look at. The sky is beautiful. Thus, all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one, I will look. Here it is again, similar to what we already read. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. A lot of people don't take the word of God very seriously. We had a bibliology class yesterday. We're talking about inspiration of Scripture. If you understand inspiration, the verbal, plenary, confluent inspiration of Scripture, that leads you to you must believe the Bible is an inerrant Bible, that has no errors in it no matter what subject it talks on, Right? And if it's inerrant, it's also authoritative fully, and it's powerful and effective and sufficient and necessary. And we're going through these attributes. That's how we should believe about God's Word in our personal devotions, when we listen to expository sermons, when we're memorizing Scripture. Not treat it lightly. We have so many copies of the Bible around. They're on electronic and everything. We don't take it all that seriously. People go to church, and they don't really necessarily even want to hear a Bible anymore. They don't really tremble before the Word of God. But that's what a humble person does. They tremble before the Word of God. How pompous are the preachers? How pompous are the Bible teachers that don't believe every word in there? That tell their people it's not all true. What are they going to say to God? Yeah, we kind of thought that you didn't know what you're talking about. We really didn't believe it when he said you lied or you don't lie. Matthew 5.3 said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who gets into the kingdom of heaven? Answer, poor in spirit. The proud, on the other hand, please notice, encounter resistance from God, right? God resists or opposes the proud. Look again at verse 6. God is opposed to the proud. Opposed. Now, if a person is totally proud as an unbeliever, they're going to meet total resistance from God. If we're struggling with our own pride as believers, we're going to meet some resistance from God. The point is that wherever pride is in a person, there God actively opposes them. Who are some of the more pompous figures of Scripture? We'll take it to the extreme to make sure we understand. Pharaoh comes to mind, right? Let my people go. 
Who is the Lord that I should listen to him? Oh, man, you're going to find out. Here come the plagues. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Exodus 10.3 God opposes pride in any human being because he opposes all human pomp. He hates pride in humans. He hates it. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. What's the first one listed? Haughty eyes. What are those? The eyes that look like superior eyes. I'm better than you eyes. Look in my eyes and know I'm going to beat you. I'm better. God hates it. God says he's going to destroy it. Pride is the worst human attribute. And it's probably the most common human attribute. It's indefensible for fallen creatures. We're sinners. We're fallen. We have pride. Proverbs 16.5, everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. Look at proud people. Notice that pride comes before the fall. You can look at them. Don't envy them. It's just a matter of time. That's that whole Psalm thing, right, where he says, well, I was envying the sinners, and then I looked at their end. Pride comes before the fall. There's a reason why there is a hell. 1 John 2.16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Worldliness, there it is. Pride of life is the pride derived from life's accomplishments. People are proud of their schooling, proud of their career, proud of their trophies, proud of their possessions. That's the pride of life. It's not from the Father. One writer describes the pride of life this way, braggadocia, which exaggerates what it possesses in order to impress other people. Put another way, it's an arrogance or vainglory relating to one's external circumstances, whether wealth or rank or dress. Bragging comes in many forms. Usually there is some favorable comparison that one is making to someone else to make themselves look a little taller, a little shinier. One premier example in Scripture is King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4.30, standing on his balcony looking out over the great city of Babylon. Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? No one should ever utter words like that unless they're God. Did God oppose Nebuchadnezzar? Yup. God reduced him pretty quickly to acting like an animal, crawling around eating grass, literally. Sometimes God strikes people in the mind who have been proud. He strikes them for their pride. I hope you don't secretly envy the beautiful and the proud people. Those on the magazine covers, those doing the photo shoots, the sports star, the singer, the dancer, whatever it is. It's Pride is that female look of vanity. Pride is that male look of superiority. Pride is that haughty look in the rich person, surrounded by other rich persons dressed to impress. Pride is that clique of girls wandering around in school, not letting anyone else in their circle. 
because they're better, you see. It is sin when we turn the things that God has given us to enjoy, whether it's beauty or money or things that we have. God gives lots of stuff for us to enjoy, and we get them, and sometimes they're really nice, right? And we turn those into reasons for boasting for ourselves. We get a, get a gift, and we go, look what I got. But you were just given that as a gift. I know, but look what I got. It was just given to you as a gift. You didn't earn it. It was just given to you as a gift. I know, but look what I got. I got it. It's mine. People can brag and boast about what they have without even saying a word, right? Eyebrows can go up. Look at my home. Look at my car. Do you see the suit? Proverbs 25, 14, like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of his gifts falsely. Pride of life saturates this world. Pride of life saturates this world. It's everywhere around us, everywhere. It's influencing you and me. You have to actively realize that and you have to shun this to realize the effect on you. The full expression of self-exaltation will be the Antichrist. He's coming. He may be in the world already. Who knows? 2 Thessalonians 2.4, he, the Antichrist, opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. You see, that's the height of pride, isn't it? Every object of worship, I got to get above them all, he says, so that he takes a seat in the temple of God. Can you just see him? The temple of God, daring the Almighty to do anything about it displaying himself as being God. What arrogance. You know, Mormons think they're going to turn into a God one day. You think that Satan concocted that lie? Terrible, terrible thought. A religion says you're going to become a God one day. You're going to become the enlightened one. What arrogance. Many times in churches, this pride of life is seen in people in the congregation because they will only associate with some and not with others. Think about that for yourself. Form little groups in the church. Why is it when people come to a church and say, you know, it's got a bunch of cliques and they don't like it? Why not? Because they're really saying is they're a lot of proud people and they don't think that I don't think they've learned the Christian life all that well in that church. You can't come in our circle, is the message. The fact that there are not as many, I think that's fair to say, not as many people in this congregation who are seeking out accountability, discipleship, scrutiny of their own Christian life, how they lead their family, gentlemen, and they're not seeking that out, not wanting that in some form or another in the community, the small group, the men's ministry, whatever it is, you're kind of keeping a distance, listening, but not letting anyone examine you, ladies too. That indicates pride. I won't even tell me what that. I won't even know what's going on inside of me. That's pride. But if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. Until you do, he'll oppose your progress in your Christian life. I can't make progress in Christian life. I know because you're not humbling yourself. That's what happens with me. Sometimes I'm like, Lord, things aren't working out right. It's your fault. You know, it's your fault. You should be doing more. Then I settle down, talk a little more correctly to God. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to learn? I'm here. What do you want me to do? He doesn't budge. You know, I don't know what he does in the heavens. You already know, Thomas. Humble yourself. 
Oh, okay. Is it still that? <laughs> Thought we went through that a few years ago. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, but humility goes before honor. Sort of the opposite of the other one. That's Psalm 18.12. Psalm 94.2. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render recompense to the proud. Isaiah 13.11. This is all over Scripture. I mean, God just hates pride. It's all over Scripture. Isaiah 13.11. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. If we want help, we'll turn to the Lord humbly, not to our own resources. Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. See, that's humility. 2 Corinthians 11.30, if I have to boast, Paul said, he was trying to help the Corinthian church to be a little more humble and he said, if I'm forced to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weaknesses. Because when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. I don't want other people to know my weaknesses. Paul said, I'll boast about my weaknesses. Are you like that? I don't want anyone to know about where, because you're proud. All right, look at verse 7. We'll get started with <laughs> The word, therefore, submit, therefore, to God. Un, therefore. Inference. This is a reaction to the truth of Proverbs 3.24, to that gold mine principle of humil humility. It's an inferential. Since God opposes the proud, you should submit to God, is the idea. And what follows here are ten punctuated, you call them terse commands, forcefully demanding immediate action from believers. And again, this section is so rich in application, we can't accelerate through it. God is calling upon each person to take personal responsibility for his own worldliness. His own pride, jealousy, envy, and lust. Take responsibility for that. Quit pointing the finger at parents or whoever else. God is here giving you the medicine to apply to yourself to keep worldliness away. He's showing us that we must talk to our own souls. We must address our own will and our own desires. We have to take action, not make excuses. Yes, as you read down through each one of these things, submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to God, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. He's saying biblical Christian sanctification demands that you and I respond to God's commandments. Sanctification is not and cannot be a passive process for you. You don't get sanctified through osmosis. Come in, hear a sermon. Keeping your reading program with the Bible. It's not that simple. It takes something that goes on inside of you. It takes holy discipline and sweat. God's grace is there. It's available to you. But it's only available to you if you humble yourself. And to humble yourself, you have to do what this says to do, submit yourselves to God. And then these other commandments. This idea that actively working to obey God is not the right approach to sanctification is so wrong. Some are saying this, that you're not supposed to take the commandments of God and work hard at keeping them. Of course you are. Why do you think he gives them? Do you think when he commands us to love one another, he's really commanding himself 
to put the love in our hearts. He's already willing to pour it all out. Now we have to take action. It's so blatantly wrong. It contradicts the Bible. It contradicts this passage right here. In fact, it plays into personal pride. I don't have to work on my sanctification. God's got to zap me. God hasn't zapped me yet. That's why I am the way I am. That just plays right into the pride of man again. Proud people don't want to take responsibility for what is wrong in their lives. They want to blame mama. They want to blame their boss, the government, whatever. They don't want application. Give me doctrine. Let my mind be teased with some truths about God, but don't tell me how I'm supposed to live. I don't like that part of the sermon. They don't want to have to do anything. Well, this whole passage is about doing something. Humble people are the opposite. They say, you know what? I need to change. I need to grow. I really do. I need to grow. I need some things changed in me. Could you tell me what to do? I want to get busy doing it this week. There's humility. So take action. Take responsibility for your own spiritual growth. This is all over the Bible. Paul writes in Romans 12, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. One command after another command after another command. Peter writes, Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. It's up to you. You need to do it. Everywhere, Scripture exhorts us to be active in sanctification. There is a teaching going around in evangelicalism that's an utter misuse of the grace of God. It puts all of the onus and the burden on God to transform the believer and leaves the believer passive, waiting until God acts. God's waiting to give his greater grace to you until you act by humbling yourself and submitting yourself. They say any effort at being godly is considered legalism and self-help stuff, not God's grace. God says the opposite. If you want the greater grace working inside of you, you want to know the power of God active in you, then humble yourself. Work ardently at talking to your soul about humility. Reduce yourself. Clean yourself. Purify yourself. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 4, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. The false teaching says if you want to grow, it's up to God to change you. God says, I'll change you with my grace after you humble yourself and submit yourself to me. Now, there's so much in here. As we look at these exhortations, we need to understand that they're, they're not given as steps to take in chronological order, not hoops to jump through. They happen all in the human heart, really at the same time. They look at humility and submission in different lights. Submission to God is really the basic command of the list that's coming. And then there's a couplet that follows. It talks about our relationship to the devil and God. To the devil, resist him. To God, draw near to him. And so those two exhortations are put together. And then you look further down the passage and there's another couplet. It says, cleanse your hands and calls them sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So we have hands and hearts. And we have a problem as sinners and being double-minded. And then it goes on to our heart response to it, being miserable and mourn and weeping about our sin. This is such a crucial passage. Dr. Will Varner of the Master's College calls this section of the letter of James, verses 1 through 10, and particularly this section, as the horatory peak of the letter. 
meaning this is where it all crescendos to, right here. This is where he's really getting at the double-mindedness and the worldliness of the Christians, the Jewish Christians and the diaspora. And he's saying, here's where we have to have a change of heart. He talked about it in chapter one, talked about it in chapter two, the faith that's not responding, talked about it in chapter three with the tongue, but here it is really reaching the climax. In today's message, you were informed by Pastor Tom that humility is a large part of not conforming to this world. When a person accepts Jesus' love and forgiveness, they are then called to live on this earth, but to always keep heaven your focus. You may feel like you're constantly paddling upriver due to pride, due to this world's collective mentality. This can be a stumbling block in life pursuing God. With sad yet hope-filled hearts, we want to let you know that Pastor Tom Leek, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his Savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit HopeBible.org. Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope. Failure. It's not a pretty picture. We don't like to admit when we flounder, but one way to succeed is to make sure that we look on the inside, at our hearts. It's about being with God and knowing Him. Don't miss listening next time as Pastor Mark addresses the importance of remembering that God's above us and we are under Him. All creation is under His authority. Through the Bible, we know all that we need to know. And if we know what He says, how much clearer will our daily ins and outs be? To listen again to today's message in the book of James, visit HopeBibleChurch.org and look under the Sermons tab. Pastor Tom will return soon with another in-depth study of God's Word. So join us again right here on Discover Hope.